Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, and today we got a ton of stuff to break down. Obviously, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are over. We have a winner, so we will get into that. There is so much head coaching news, and uh, the offseason has already started to bring in signings and trades. Uh, so there's lots to talk about here. Uh, this will probably be a a longer episode, I I would assume, or at least hitting on a, a bunch of different points. We haven't recorded in a couple of weeks, so um, let's just get right into it. And before we get into all the news, let, let's just start with the you know the the big thing that happened this week, and, and that was that the uh, Stanley Cup was handed out. The Colorado Avalanche defeat the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games uh, to take the cup in a I'd say it was a, a good series, maybe a little underwhelming, but. Um, I think, you know, when you have two teams that were that injured, I mean, we'll get into Tampa's injury list and stuff after as well, but, um, you know, it's kind of hard for it to just be at the top of their powers. But overall, I thought it was a pretty entertaining series. I don't know about you, Chase. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I was a little surprised everybody on Twitter was like, oh, my God, we expected the best series ever, and this didn't disappoint. Like, I didn't really spend a second being like, Colorado might lose. Well, and that's the thing. There was a lot of close games, but like Colorado dominated a lot of this it was series. Clear. Yeah, it was clear who was better. Yes, like in game one, it was 4-3 in overtime, but Colorado did not deserve to be in overtime. They dominated that game. Yep. And then game two, obviously 7 nothing win. That wasn't in doubt. Uh, game three was the Lightning's best game by far. Like I thought they took it to them right away and just never yeah. really let their – foot off their throat when they had the lead. But that was the only time I thought the lightning really looked like peak lightning that we've seen from the past three years. Yeah. And they had so many injuries, like maybe that was it. But like I said, I, I was a little surprised at that because I'm the, the abs were the better team at basically every game except one. Yeah. And then uh, game four, too. yeah, game four, three, two in overtime, the shots were pretty close. I think the lightning outshot the abs 39, 37 in that game. So you know, that maybe could have, you know, bounced the other way, goes the Lightning's way, and that's a 2-2 series. But uh, game five, the Lightning sneak out a 3-2 win, and, um, you know, they they let up 37 shots and only take 29 while doing it. So it's not like they were getting, like, crushed-crushed, but definitely outplayed again in that game. And then game six, the Avalanche get the lead. Uh, they have the lead going into the third period, and the Lightning get, like, two shots through 15 minutes and I think four shots in total. Uh, the Avalanche just shut that game down in the third period. You would think if there's any time for score effects to kick in, it's when a team is down one goal in the third period of an elimination game in the Stanley Cup Finals. But the Avalanche said, ha, no to that, and just dominated uh, from start to finish in that third period. Yeah, you could uh, you could teach like a coaching clinic on how the Avs played at that point. Yeah, like it was just phenomenal. Like it just – Honestly, and it was a perfect kind of wrap to the season, I think, because this is a season we're going to look back on in five to 10 years and be like, yeah, this is one where the best team won. I mean, you know, the Avs were an undisputed best team in the regular season, but they were of one of three or four, I think, for sure. And if you told anyone at the beginning, middle or end of the regular season that the Avs were going to steamroll their way through the Stanley Cup playoffs, I don't think too many people would have had an eye. Yeah, would they lose four games with like the worst goaltending in the past 30 years for a cup winner? Yep, they went 16 and four. Um, lost two games to the Blues, two games to the Lightning, swept Nashville, swept Edmonton. Yep. And yeah, Kemper finished with a 901, I think, in the playoffs. And Frank Hoos wasn't much better. Yeah, Frank Hoos was worse, wasn't he? Or did Kemper's fall enough that it corrected? Uh, I can look that up, but they were both very not good, is what I can tell you. Um, for a Stanley well, Cup Frank winning. Frank Kuz out of 9.06. I think yeah. it was worse going in or something. But, yeah, so same area of bad. Yeah, when you're getting about 9.04, 9.03 goaltending for the – and Kemper finished from the 9.02. So when you're getting, like, 9.04 goaltending throughout the playoffs and you're going 16-4, and four, I mean, that is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Um. I don't have a ton more to say on the series itself. We're getting to definitely some storylines around the series and stuff like that. But yeah, in terms of the games, like they were, they were good games. I don't think it like completely underwhelmed, but it wasn't 
I, I definitely agree with you where I think people at Twitter were trying to make this a little more than it actually was, where it's like, no, like this was a good series, but it was almost good because you wanted to see if Tampa could just cling on and sneak out a third cup, not because it was just two behemoths giving each other punches back and forth. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, obviously Tampa brings out their injury list at the end and literally everyone was hurt. Uh, point tore his quad against the Leafs tried playing through that uh Sorelli I think had a broken hand uh, Nick Paul had an injury a pretty bad injury uh Kucherov was playing through a couple of injuries I think one of the only guys who wasn't critically injured was Steven Stamkos basically um which is a rarity uh but yeah like it's understandable enough three years of deep playoff runs from the Lightning and just in general, like you see every year, these playoff lists or the injuries list come out. And um, I will say, I, the one thing I was thinking about, do you think, do you feel like they're less glorified now, at least than even like two or three years ago? Yes. It was like, and I'm even thinking back to when we were kids, like Bergeron with the punctured lung, like it was almost like fetishized 10 years ago. Yes. And now I think there's a lot better understanding, like, you know, good for you for playing through the pain, but it's not. Well, and I, and I know, like, even glorify. like I think it was uh, uh, Rick West had had tweeted out and said, like, why aren't we talking more about how meant like what these painkillers might be doing to people or whatever? It's like, did they know the adverse effects? And it's just like that stuff would have never ever been raised as an issue five even five years ago. I don't think. Yeah, not a chance. And to be fair, I'm pretty sure if you told the players that, they honestly wouldn't care and would do it anyways. But No, they wouldn't. I mean, like, Mike Johnson was on Overdrive the other day, and, like, he's a smart guy. And he was like, yeah, no, if you if I was in the Stanley Cup Finals and you told me that uh, there was a risk, you know, painkillers have an adverse effect in my long-term health or whatever if I'm playing through a quad injury, I would say, screw you, we're two games away from the Stanley Cup winning the Stanley Cup and I would play through the quad injury or whatever. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's, I do the same. Yeah. And, and literally like, I, I mean, again, it's not not to play the game or anything like that. And it's not even close to the same level, but like when we even played minor hockey, I hated missing games, even though it was like, yeah, you might have a concussion right now. It's like, I want to get back as soon as I can. Cause I wanted to play. And that was absolutely meaningless. Nothing hockey. Yeah, exactly. That's us playing a league that we understand isn't even competitive. Never mind. You work your whole life to something like like hell. You're gonna you're gonna miss it if there's anything you can do to do it. You spent yeah. 20 years working to this goal, and you know what? They probably even if they do end up with the long term effects, probably don't regret it. To be honest, no. And I mean, it is. I, I, I am depending glad, on though, what the effects are. Obviously. Yes, obviously. And I am glad that it, it seems like we are getting away from like that punctured lung stuff. Like, yeah, it's crazy what people are playing through, but it's not life threatening in terms of like, like Bergeron was out there playing. It was the 2013 final, I think where he yeah. literally could have just died on the ice. Yeah. Like playing where, you know, you might do some damage to your leg ligaments instead of, yeah, you might fucking die on center ice. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that, that was just one thing I was thinking about the other day, but as the injury list was coming out, um, on the other side, you know, Colorado, congratulations to them. They get their cup. Uh, I was trying to think of the last time I've seen a team go this all in and win the cup in the same year. Yeah. To actually have it work out exactly how they planned. Yeah. Cause like the last time I remember even a team really going this all in would probably be like the 2017 capitals. The year they went out and got like Shattenkirk and that was like the year they were supposed to be unstoppable or whatever. And then the Penguins beat them. Yeah. Florida's like it this year. Yeah, ex- exactly. Win. That's a negative one. But like the Avs had to trade away their first at the start of the year for Darcy Kemper because they lost out on their goaltender. Uh, they went out at the deadline and added guys like Lekkanen. Um, you know, they, they made moves just to shed guys off the roster just to make cap space. Um, so they could go out and spend, you know, more assets on guys like Josh Manson. Um, like they just kind of, it was clear that this was, they realized this was their best year and they were going to take advantage of it. And they absolutely did, which is awesome to see. Yeah, exactly. It's great. Cause 
I mean, the Avs are one of the smartest organizations in the sport. They're they're going to be fine, but the the lean years are coming. Yeah, I mean, like they got to they just leaner they anyway. They just they have to figure out how to get more depth talent with cheaper guys. You know. Yep, they got to start going for the buntings of the world. Exactly, or you know, chickens. plugging in a guy like John Luke Foudy or whatever that they have in their minor system, and hoping that he can play a solid third line role that you know they're going to lose from a guy that they're just not going to be able to keep anymore, you know? Yeah. Or have new hook step up and be like a 50 point guy next year or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I, we, I, we need to talk about it. The takes that drove me nuts the night they won the cup. I texted you about it that night. And I even tweeted about it. I have to be careful. I've, I've tried to figure out how I'm going to choose my words for about three days now. Because I'm not trying to shit on the dude. I am so happy that Nazem Khatri has this cup. Him celebrating on the ice with his parents was so cool. Him just dominating this year was awesome. CN having just an awesome playoffs, you know, all the crap he had to take in the St. Louis series, you know. And, and I'm like, that's not, I don't think that's restricted to just the St. Louis stuff. That's unfortunately what he's had to deal with growing up his entire life playing hockey, you know, when it comes to racism in hockey. The fact that he wins the Stanley Cup is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. The takes acting as if he didn't get suspended for three of the past four playoffs were so wild to me. And it doesn't mean anything now because he redeemed himself. He would he showed the upside that the abs were betting on and continued to bet on even after last year when he got himself suspended for the entire second round, which helped cause their elimination. So it's yeah, the pretending like Azam Godry obviously has to go through shit that most hockey players are lucky enough not to have to go to. It's worth not ignoring that. However, we also can't pretend that some of Nazem Godry's struggles aren't self-inflicted. Yeah, and like the one argument I saw was just like the league punished him heavier than they punished anyone else, even though there has been, if not equally, but like other really bad stuff that people get one game for. And that is, I, that's absolutely fair. That is an absolutely fair take. There's some stuff that even happened in this playoffs where it's like, how on earth did you not get any games or just one game? Like there people try to murder each other out there. Yeah. That being said, Nazem Kadri tried to kill a guy three years in a row where he like the, the same and in Toronto, it was the same thing on back-to-back hits in the exact spot. And, and like, it's just like you, the refs you, failed him on that DeBrusque thing, but it didn't make what he did okay. Yeah. And it's just like you can't sit here and pretend that this was some adversity he had to battle through in terms of like people doubting him. Yeah. Because like Cause, even his even his quote of like people who think I'm a liability in the playoffs can kiss my ass. Like, like no, you were a liability for three of the past four seasons. Yeah, he's worth it anyways on the upside. And we can see that because he did so well for Colorado. But he is, yeah, he proved everyone right last year. And so, I don't know, that was just something. I And again, I, like I, I'm, I can't express enough that I'm not just trying to fully shit on the dude or anything like that. It's awesome to see him get his cup. It was just the absolute take, even just like, the amount of Leafs fans and be, the media, especially just the 180 they have done on the Nazem Kadri narrative. And that's what I was trying to get at. Just like the revisionist history is insane with Kadri, where it's like, oh, yeah, see, Toronto regrets it because he throws the grit and he's got the high end skill. It's like literally a year ago, you guys were saying, see, Kyle Dubas was right. Even if he didn't get a good return, Kadri just took himself out of another playoff series. You can't have that both ways. Yeah. Dubas regrets it because Barry's the defenseman they got in return. That's yes, exactly. Like, and I'm sure the Leafs. Maybe it was supposed to be Brody, by the way. Brody nicks that deal, which is funny that he ended up there. Anyways, looks a yes. lot different if Brody comes back. Exactly, and like a Brody, and like even just like a depth forward or whatever. That's still like, yeah, yeah, probably again. would have been a worse forward than Kerfoot if it was Brody. I don't actually know what the other part was, but that would look a lot better. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah, like they're, and, and may, honestly, maybe if Toronto had the option, they would 
give Kadri a chance under a, a guy like Sheldon Keith and see if it, you know, if he could keep his head for, you know, the playoffs, but it, it's just one of those things where it's like, no, you don't, I don't know. It's just insane. Like people were trying to picture it as like Dubas chase or like the, the least chase this dude out of town because he had five points in five playoff games or whatever. Not because he literally took himself out of two back-to-back series, which was crucial turning points in the series. Yeah. Like Leafs fans were, it's, it was like a bittersweet thing to see him go. Cause like people understood why the move happened. It wasn't like there was this huge outroar of, Oh my God, this is clearly ridiculous. People still love Kadri, and that's why people were overwhelmingly happy to see him win, which is great. But like, yeah, he is who he is who we thought he was. Yeah, like a uh, high end, a guy who can provide high end talent, step up when you need it, and is an amazing two C. Like, but when he's like, I mean, he is a one C, but like a lower end one C, which makes him an absolute elite two C. And. You know, like, but there was a downside to it, which Colorado literally experienced last year. So I don't know. That, that's all I wanted to say on that. It was just the uh, great for Kadri, but just some of the revisionist history was like, wow, what are, what are we even doing here? Um, he's a UFA this offseason. It'll be interesting to see where he goes and how many teams are willing to go, how high the AAV gets or what the term will be like. Um, you would have to assume after this season and playoff run, he's going to get paid. I think he's probably going to get overpaid no matter where he goes. Like he's coming off a career season at 31 and his underlying numbers before this year just were like, not that inspiring for the first two years in Colorado. Yeah. He has underlying numbers. He's had one good year in Colorado and that's this year. That was the other thing. Okay. So now, now I, now I probably am just, but the amount of Leafs media I had to hear being like, see, he was like pissed at Dubas and he showed Dubas and crew why he shouldn't have been traded. It's like, it took him three. Why did it take him three years to do that then? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Because the first he, year he left was really shadowed by an on ice shooting heater. Yeah. And then, like, even this year was, I mean, he had great underlying numbers this year too, but he wasn't like a true over point per game player or whatever he ended, I don't think. Like, yeah, because he's, he's probably not a top 20 player in the league or whatever. I don't think that should be controversial. Yeah, so it'll be interesting where he goes. Um, the Avs have a bunch of offseason moves to make. As we are saying, this is kind of their year to go all in. Um, $25.6 million in cap space, uh, but they have Lekkinen as an RFA, uh, Kubel as an RFA, Burakovsky is a UFA, Cogliano is a UFA, Helm is a UFA, Kadri is a UFA, Nachushkin and Sturm as UFAs. Um Kale McCarr's extension kicks in, obviously, this year. And then on the back end, Jack Johnson, Josh Manson, Ryan Murray are UFAs. Those aren't really big losses by any means. Um, and then Darcy Kemper. So they need to find a starting goaltender, probably a fifth and sixth, the fifth slash seventh, fifth slash sixth kind of defenseman. Uh, and then, but they need to replace the what could be upwards of their 2C, two left wing, maybe two right wing. Like if all of Burakovsky, Nachushkin, and Kadri lit walk, I, I think they'll probably be able to keep two of Lekkanen, Burakovsky, Kadri, and Nachushkin. Two of those four. Yeah. Yes, that would make sense. Because the other thing is, too, McKinnon's con- or McKinnon needs a new contract next season. So while 26 mil is a decent amount to work with this offseason, you need to keep some next offseason. Now, the good news is Eric Johnson's six mil comes off the book next year. And I was actually talking to our friend Tyler, and obviously, Chase, you know him, uh, and I was saying, I wonder if they try, now that Eric Johnson has his cup, if they try and get him to retire or LTIR so they get that $6 million relief. Be- yeah. I, I don't I try that. I don't, I don't know if it will. Like, uh, Eric Johnson, by all means, is like a massive guy in the room and everything like that, like great leader and everything. But, like, if you could get Eric Johnson's $6 million cap hit off the books – the other thing I poised uh, uh, to our friend was imagine if they could, I don't, I don't know. I doubt it'll happen because it's hockey and usually guys just take the longest, most confirmed money that they can. Right. You know, it'd look really good that $6 million for one season in Colorado, a little guy named Claude Giroux. That'd be pretty gross. I don't, again, like that, I don't think this will happen. They would take a lot of if, hands or butts, including like Giroux, 
taking a one-year deal somewhere instead of uh, three, three or four eight or whatever. Yeah, exactly. three by seven or whatever. Um, but you know, like if Giroux really wants a cup, this would be the team to be like, Hey, I'll take three and a half million dollars for a year or two and come chase one with you guys. But um, no, I, I think Lekkonen, cause he's an RFA, I think is a lock to probably sign like a two year deal at way under market value. Guess what Giroux's projected contract is. Is it insane? Is it like six <laughs> or eight years? Yeah, it's seven, five for seven years. Yeah, because I remember texting you and I was like, what comparables would they use to get Drew at that age for seven years? Because he's like that's, 34, isn't he? That's got to be just like a break in a linear trend line somewhere, I would think. <laughs> Very that's weird. Yeah, he's yeah. 34. Um. Yeah, I think they'll probably keep Lekin in. I think it seems pretty obvious Burakovsky will walk. I don't think the two sides just didn't seem to see eye to eye even by the end of the year. Um, Kadri, yeah, and that's probably fine. Yeah, Kadri, I think, probably just priced himself out. But if they can, I think Natushkin's another one they could probably get undervalued just because, I mean, he definitely had a coming out party in these playoffs, but I still think people probably don't realize quite how good he is. Yeah, the question will just be if they have to pay the cup tax. Yep, exactly. Or, you know, if the if there's players that are willing to stick around on a, on a cheaper deal or not. And at, at least they have so many guys, at least one of them probably will be. Yeah, you would think so. Like, I, I really could see Natushkin taking, like, a, now granted, and he's only 27, which is crazy, but, like, Natushkin was supposed to be the high-flying guy or whatever and, you know, really didn't just kind of fizzled out in Dallas and – Maybe he'll be looking to just cash out now, and that would be absolutely fair as well. So we'll have to see. Yeah, because I think he could get max term from somebody, especially given he won the cup. But oh, it shouldn't 100%. be a crazy AAV either. No, but um, yeah. And then on the other side of things, Tampa's got a lot of a lot of work to do, but the core is coming back again next year. Like, there's no reason to think this team probably isn't going to be a cup contender again next year. Yep, it's classic. As long as they can stay healthy and avoid some ridiculous age fall off, they're they're fine. Yeah, they're like still they're, Tampa. And you know, actually, I said they had a lot of work to do. They really don't. They have. I mean, they, they are already two million dollars over the cap, so they they are going to have to shed a contract somewhere. But their UFAs are Riley Nash, Andre Pilat, and Nick Paul. Nick Paul was always going to be a rental. It seemed like, and if he does resign, it'll probably be like a cheap thing. But I, I can't see him resigning. Um, he seems Andre, like somebody who's going to get like a four by four and they're going to regret it immediately. Exactly. Well, even I heard people saying like Ottawa should actually go back and pay him four by four. It's like, no, no, like, I wasn't even sure not. Ottawa should pay him four by 3.25 or whatever they're hassling him over. So he's going to be like the modern day Matt Valesky contract. You remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on defense, their only UFA is Yamuta. So they have, Four players they technically need to resign. Um, you know, so they, they only have 11 forwards and 60 under contract right now. So they're obviously going to have to figure out a way to lose some cap space or like lose some cap hit and get a couple cheap players. But um, like this, the core of this team has come back Kucherov, Point, Stamco, Sorelli. Um, even if you want to throw a haggle in there, uh, Corey Perry is coming back, Victor Hedman, McDonough, very likely. Sergachev uh, and Vasilevsky and Chernak. So there's no reason to think this team is not going to be very good again next year. A big old Unless, Brent Seabrook stepping up next year too. <laughs> yeah, coming out of retirement on the LTIR. Um, I would kind of, I, I think this every offseason never happens, but I kind of think Alex Kalorn is probably gone this year. It's got to be easier to move Kalorn every additional season and the fact that they're over the cap right now really makes me think this is the year and Kalorn just had a career year points wise yeah like I don't even know how hard you would have to cap dump him it would just depend how much he of a fuss he's going to make because he does have a 16 team no trade list yeah because if he wants he could probably force his way to stay but if he's willing to move I assume as long as you didn't expect anything in return you wouldn't have to cap dump him necessarily yeah, probably. You probably um, get like a fifth round pick from some team or something. Yeah, or even just nothing, and then that would probably be worth it. Um, 
but yeah, like this, this was <laughs> it's gonna be a good team again next year, and um, that shouldn't really shock anyone. You know, of course, bear barring health and everything, but yeah, and they are getting older. The age curves gonna start slowly catching up to them, but it's not like any of these guys are super old. Yeah, exactly. Like if like no one's expecting Kucherov just fall off a cliff or anything like that. Like that would be exactly. surprising. They might be some of those guys might be like two percent worse or whatever. But this team was so good that they can they can stomach that and still be stupidly good at hockey. Exactly. Um, okay, let's start to get into some of the news here. Uh, I'm just starting to realize I never actually timed what time we started recording at, but that's okay. Uh, let's start getting to the news here. Um, let's go with the biggest trade. Let's go the, the one that just happened. Kevin Fiala gets traded from the Minnesota Wild to the Los Angeles Kings and immediately signs a seven-year, $7.9 million contract. Uh, in return, the, uh, the Minnesota Wild get the Kings' 2022 first-round pick and um, prospect – oh, I forget his name – um Brock Faber is his name who was a I believe he was a, a mid-round pick in 2020 and is currently captaining a second round pick 45th overall in 2020 uh and is the captain of the University of Minnesota at 14 points in 32 games I haven't really heard of him I think he he's a defenseman I should say as well so like that point total might seem underwhelming for a forward but for, not bad for a defenseman at all I think he's a pretty he's still pretty solid. underwhelming yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a, he's a First solid pick, enough stuff. prospect, but not a stud or anything like that. Yeah, he might be depth for you down the line or like a number four or something, but it's the first round pick. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know, I, I go back and forth. Like a, a mid first, I think for a guy you clearly couldn't re-sign. Like I saw a lot of people, the reaction was that's it, but like when was the last time we saw a guy where we knew the team could not re-sign him basically because they have so much dead money in, in cap coming up where they got a, a what is probably going to be like the 16th overall pick. Yeah, it's pretty good. Overall. And I saw, I think it was Harmon Dial said, this seems to be the going rate for top tier RFAs. This is what Sam Reinhart got more or less. This is what, Kevin Fiala got, but the Buffalo Sabres didn't absolutely have to trade Sam Reinhardt, at which point it makes this really nice from Bill Guerin because yeah. his back was against the wall in a way that the Sabres absolutely was not. So the fact now, that he got the same price is still good. To be fair, Bill Guerin's back against the is against the wall because he shoved himself <laughs> up against the yep. wall and put himself there yep. um, by buying out those contracts. Like this was a very obvious repercussion. Um, and it's why I, I, re- I love this move from Los Angeles's perspective. He, like you're getting a legitimate first line winger for the 19th overall pick and uh, not even one of your top three prospects. Yeah. You could be the smartest drafting team in the league and the expected value of a 19th overall pick does not come particularly close to Kevin Fiala over the next seven years. Yeah, exactly. And then, so, you know, I, I love this from LA, but I, d- I did think it was, you know, a, a good enough trade given the circumstances from Minnesota and, you can look at that either way because Minnesota definitely made those circumstances for themselves. Um, but at the same time, just all, all like in a vacuum, I, I think the trade makes it enough sense for both sides, really. Yeah. Yeah. You can see why both teams did it again. <laughs> we can knock Minnesota for being in a position where they had to do it, but given where <laughs> they are now, it makes sense. But you know, if, yeah, if you look at that all being a sunk cost or whatever, like that now it's fine or not fine, but it makes the move better when you're looking at past moves as sunk costs already. Yeah. So um, the Kings then turn around, sign him to a seven by 7.9, slightly more than I thought he might get just because I didn't, I wasn't sure if he had the name value or not. I, I thought like if he would have signed a seven, a 7.875, I should say. Um, but if he would have signed like a seven by seven, I almost wouldn't have been shocked, but uh, this seems like a fair deal again on both sides. Like this kind of, is right where I'd say his value is, you know, maybe even a little underpaid right now, but by the time he hits 32 or whatever, and this contract's done probably won't be quite worth it. So I would say this is a pretty good deal both ways. Yeah. I think it makes a ton of sense. It's a good negotiation in my opinion from, from LA because usually these guys get grossly overpaid when you just have to acquire them and sign them. But if he got them below his projected term, which is pretty impressive. 
Yeah, and like I, I'm assuming it was probably part of the deal was that they had the contract in place. They were only going to make it if they signed it. But yeah, because um, yeah, it, it's definitely how many times have we seen a team, and this is a classic in football too, where you give up a haul for a guy with one year left. And then when he's an RFA or whatever, it's like, well, you have to pay him because you gave up so many assets to get him, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> LA, they're an interesting team. And apparently they're not done. That you know They're, they're still going to be in the market. I saw people pointing for another forward. I think if this team is going to make another big move, it's got to be on defense because I really do like their forward core right now. Their defense core is still very questionable. Yeah. <laughs> they need Sorry. to make do work. Question, questionable if they want to be good. And, and same with the net too, I'll say. But, you know, they have Drew Doughty, Sean Walker, Matt Roy, Sean uh, Dursey really stepped up and looked good this year. Tobias Jornfoot hasn't been great, I don't think. Um, you know, it's like that's as a top six, it's not the worst. It's just not the greatest. Yeah, it's it's aggressively mediocre. Yeah, and then but like up front they have now Kopitar, Fiala, Dano, Arvidsson, Ayafalo, uh, Kaliev, Byfield, Leah Anderson, uh, Gabe Velarde. Like that, Adrian Kempe is an RFA, but uh, you think they'll re-sign him probably. Um, like that's a pretty good top ten forward group staff, like to, top ten forward staff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a nice mix of young and old too. Somebody like Byfield takes a step. Like, yeah, there's a lot to like there. Yeah, exactly. And I will say they do have some, you know, like they have Brant Clark as a defensive prospect as well. Like they still have one of the best prospect pools in the league from basically every account. So it's not like they have no help coming on the blue line, but I, I think if they were to add, it would probably be like a Jacob Chitron type where same kind of idea, a guy who fits maybe the core of this team, if you want to go for it now, who's closer to like 24 than he is 28. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Um, but yeah, I, I really like what LA is, LA is doing. And honestly, I like, I kind of like it too, because I think, Part of me wonders if they're looking at their division and being like, dude, the Edmonton Oilers just made it out of this division. Why can't we do that next year? Yeah, absolutely. You know who they remind me a little bit of? Who? Um, the, the quote talking about John Chaco was like, he's really good at turning five, a nickel into six cents. They seem to be like that, but better and started from a better place, in my opinion, where they haven't done like, one thing particularly crazy good, but they just kind of seem to keep making marginally positive decisions and how the outlook looks pretty strong. Yeah, they do just do a lot of stuff where it's like, oh, that was solid. It's not a game-breaking decision or anything, but that was good. And they have like five of those in a row. It's like, okay, well, five good moves almost, like that does add up to like a game-breaking decision, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then they seem to draft well too, so... All in all, they're in a much better spot than they had any business being in, given the cap hell they were in pretty recently. Yeah, like it was just three years ago where we were, I think, listing this as one of the teams on our, like our top five list of teams we wouldn't want to take over. Yeah. Which kind of <laughs> yeah. seems insane now, because like this is probably one of the top five that you would want to take over, I would assume, if we did that list today. Yeah, your only term really is... Ooh, I guess Dallas, that, would be, that contract sucks, but Fiala and Dano, that's not that bad. Good prospect pool. You can do a lot worse. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, and like Kopitar's coming off the book. His contract will be off the books when a lot of their big RFAs are up. So, like, that's – I don't know. It's really good. Um, I'm excited to watch this team. I think it'll be interesting. They're probably not done this summer, but um, regardless, they've already had a very, very strong offseason. Um It'll be interesting what Minnesota does too, because it feels destined. They're going to take a step back. And honestly, the relationship between them and Fiala never really seemed as good as it should have been anyway. So um, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. The other trade we had uh, was Evgeny Dadanov is now a member of the Montreal Canadiens. He gets traded for Shea Weber's contract, basically. Um, again, a pretty savvy move on uh, um Montreal side of things here. They pick up a free player in Dadanov, who I'm assuming they will give a ton of ice time to, probably retain at 50% this deadline and flip them for some kind of pick. 
because uh, he's got one more year left at $5 million. So at 2.5, I'm sure some team would absolutely take Evgeny Dadanov. But um, the other big thing I saw people talking about, and I, I'm not even going to pretend to understand how, how this works because it's so complicated, but moving Shea Weber's money basically allows it now. So if in a year or two or whatever, they need to put Carey Price on LTIR, they can do that and still get relief. Whereas if they would have had all of Weber and Price's money on, they wouldn't be getting the same relief from what I understand. I guess that makes sense. You can't just have $20 million in LTIR relief. Exactly. Right. So, and then for Vegas, they don't have anyone on LTIR or not at that big of a contract. So Weber actually does help them because it allows them to spend more money. Yeah, that makes sense. This was a, like a double or triple check the blue check mark on Twitter. For <laughs> yes. When you say, when you see Weber's being traded, it's like, Oh, that's a little strange, I guess. And it's like for Dadanov, one for one. It's like that. It is really, really weird. Yeah. But, it's like, what am I looking at here? Yeah. But for, again, for Vegas, they get rid of Dadanov's $5 million cap hit. And then they also are picking up, you know, uh, the ability to eventually spend more money because of Weber's LTIR hit. Um, and they turn around and, Theoretically, this hasn't been announced because it won't. They said it probably won't be announced till later in the summer. But they theoretically have signed Riley Smith to an extension with uh, uh, the money that they saved uh, with that enough. Oh, is that one official? I didn't. It's know that. not. It's not technically official. Uh, Frank Cervelli tweeted out: "You take Riley Smith off the top fifty UFA boards. Sources say Smith and the Vegas Golden Knights have reached a verbal agreement to keep the winger with Vegas on a contract contract extension." However, it may not be immediately announced for off-season uh, tagging slash cap considerations. Okay, it's probably some weird thing on Vegas's end because they're over the. Yeah, they probably now. they probably got to wait as long as they can or whatever to get as much space as they can and then announce them. Um, they probably didn't yeah. want that to break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you would think probably not, right? Like because they would probably want to. Up- I assume from a leverage perspective, it looks a lot better if you're not actively over the cap when trying to make the decisions. Yeah. Um, especially, yeah. Especially if you got to make more decisions this week, uh, this year, like this off season. Cause I think right now, and I don't know if this counts uh, with Weber's money or not, but even they don't have the Riley Smith extension on cap friendly and there's still $2 million over the cap. Yeah. So again, I don't know if that's with any LTIR baked in or whatever, um, but they definitely are probably still going to have a little more work to do here. Uh, and they don't have a backup goalie signed yet or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they, and they have eight fours on their contract. So it'll be interesting to see how they work around all of this, but, um, yeah, I, I'm interesting enough. And then another cap move was Ben Bishop going to, uh, the Buffalo Sabres with a seventh round pick for absolutely nothing. Uh, that's Dallas just getting out of a contract and money, I think, and Buffalo, eating possible money. And I think Ben Bishop's probably going to go on LTIR, uh, but they get a seventh out of it. So low key, horrible move for Buffalo to not get more than the seventh round pick for, what is it? Five, nine, four, nine, million. Four, 4.9. I, I wonder. Yeah. It, it's so tough to know. Like the, the LTIR stuff makes it so complicated because I wonder if that's all they could get. Cause another team would be like, like, I wonder if Dallas could have sold where it's like, Oh, we'll just find a, Obviously not Vegas because they already did it, but a Vegas type team where it's like it actually helps them. So you some teams want this. this. Yeah, yeah, it could be. It's like maybe he's owed not much real money or something too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know, like so it's probably insured. They own probably zero dollars. Exactly, but at the end of the day, like Buffalo literally doesn't have this doesn't affect Buffalo in any way, and they get a free lottery ticket even as small as it is. So I. Can't say this is a bad move on their end by any means. Yeah, it's just you know, I found it odd that they, they it definitely kind of felt like under market value for maybe other contracts that we've seen taken at times. Yeah. But that's just kind of the league, it seems, where that we're living in. Um okay, let's want to start just hammering out uh coaching hires here. Yeah, all 15 of them. Yeah, um, literally since the last time we recorded, and we we even got the Bruce Cassidy one on the last time we recorded too. Uh, but there were still four coaches hired, I believe. Uh, let's start with the one I think we're going to have the least amount of a take on, uh, and that would be the Chicago Blackhawks uh, hiring Luke Richardson as their head coach. Uh, this was – I didn't even honestly – I literally didn't even see 
but he played over 1,400 NHL games. Um, he was four years as an AHL head coach and eight years as an NHL assistant. Um, so it's definitely not without um, experience. Uh, Luke Richardson comes from Montreal. He was the guy actually who he has a Stanley Cup playoff victory under his belt already as a coach because he's the guy who stepped up when Dominic Ducharme had COVID-19 uh, last year. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. I guess Montreal's where he came from. He would be. Yep. So, uh, I, again, I, I really don't have a ton of a take on this. Like, Yeah, it's pretty murky to evaluate assistant coaches unless it's one of the really young guys. Like, the whole league is talking about how much of a genius they are. Yeah, and, like, Chicago's so bad that, like, I, they probably should just be taking a, a shot at, like, a, a technically yep. first-time NHL head coach. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, how are we even going to evaluate this guy? Like, especially if Dabrinkit leaves, like, apparently he might. Like, if this dude gets, like, a 47% XG out of this roster, we might have to be, like, this dude deserves Jack Adams' consideration. Because yeah, well, because, like, yeah, they might be trying to trade, like, Dabrinkit and Kane and maybe even Taves, like, if they all want to go. like Yeah, like, I assume if they're trading Dabrinkit, him and Kane are pretty tight. Kane wouldn't be happy and Taze isn't going to be there without Kane and all that stuff. Like feels like yeah. it's going to get worse before it gets better, which yeah, is probably absolutely. smart. Yes. It's definitely what they need. Um, but yeah, like I just, I don't have much of an opinion on it. And it seems fine. Like, yeah. Uh, give him a, sh- he seems like he's paid his, paid his dues. I'm sure. He's a smart guy. Go for yep. it. Exactly. It's not uh, a retread gonna... either. No, exactly. Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, obviously it's not like a break outside the box candidate or anything with like a college coach, but it's not a guy who's had six different shots with six different teams. Like the next three we're going to get into. Yeah. Um, the thing especially I like about it right now is if he's in way over his head, Oh no, you've just increased your chances up a dart. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like there's, Fine. there's not really a, a downside. And if he's only, great, you found your long-term coach. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I'd say maybe the only downside if he's is he's great in the way that like you get like an Aline Vigneault kind of bump where it's like they're good for one year and they just kind of punch above their head and come like 20th for one year and then suck next year anyways. But I the, the odds of that happening seems very small. Yes. Yes, very much so. So um yeah, there's three other coaching hires that are much bigger names that people would know. Uh, let's start with one. The first one, Pete DeBoer is the head coach of the Dallas Stars. <sighs> Give me your take on this because I have a couple thoughts. So I thought like Pete DeBoer basically got uh, memed on too hard. I don't think his results are bad, but I can see why people thought this was uninspiring. Yeah, like that's kind of – I almost go the other way because I thought – people maybe defended him too much like he just he's not a bad coach but like he's he's just fine yeah he's absolutely not a bad coach no like and and like so here's his record as a head coach in the nhl florida missed the playoffs three years in a row got fired uh in next year gets hired in jersey takes that to that was the 11 12 team that went to the finals misses three years in a row with new jersey gets fired uh, gets hired in his first year with San Jose, goes to the finals. Uh, loses in round one with San Jose, round two with San Jose, round three with San Jose, gets fired mid-year. Same year, gets hired by the Golden Knights on a really good team that goes to round three, they lose. Lose in round three last year against the Montreal Canadiens, uh, and then obviously missed the playoffs this year and gets fired. So on one hand, you look at that and you go, well, in – Seven the seven years he's made playoffs, he has gone to the conference finals or better in five of those, which is pretty damn impressive. Yep. The other way you look at that is he also missed playoffs six times and got fired in halfway through two of those years. And even the one that he went to the conference finals with, that team was really, really good anyways. And I'm not really sure he was the one driving the bus. In, in well, that's the other thing, too. And that's the classic kind of coach problem, right? Their coach evaluation problem. And here, and the other thing, and like probably the biggest thing that I don't really understand of why he keeps getting hired, like, because if he would have got this job 
later in the year after, you know, like Trotz got hired and, and Cassidy's hired or whatever. And, you know, some of the big names are out. I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's fine enough. He got scooped up with it like a day. Like he was like the first guy gone. Oh yeah. They were, somebody was in the organization was ready for this. And, exactly and, that's, what was happening. and that's where I don't really quite understand. Cause I don't think, even if you think he's a good coach, that's probably fine. But like, the one thing he's always criticized for is not making adjustments as he gets deep in the playoffs, which leads him to lose in things like round three, right? Yeah. How is that helping Dallas then? Like, well, that's your team, the thing. And, and we can get to Dallas's roster in a second as well. But if Dallas views themselves as a team that can't just can't quite get over the hump, this is the guy you're bringing in. I don't know, like. Yeah. And, well, the thing is, they're they're just going to be bad, right? Yeah, like, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm sure DeBoer might be good enough where he can probably get them to a second wild card again, like this past year. Yep. Well, but yeah, that might be tough. But I mean, the West sucks, dude. That's also true. <laughs> like, yeah, LA, Minnesota taking big step back. Is, exactly. Like, I don't think Nashville's going to repeat their success from last year either. I don't see Winnipeg getting much better. So, I don't know. Like, I, if this yeah, team comes like seventh or eighth again, I, I wouldn't be surprised. They still have talent. Merrill Heiskin is still very, very good. You know, um, Jake Ottinger looks, you know, like it'll depend what a full season of him looks like. But, um, you know, Pavelski's still on the team. Uh, second's not what he once was, but like Rupe Hintz is on the team. Dennis Garianov. Like, they do have guys. They're not amazing by any means, but it's not like they're trash either. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting how mediocre the rest is, the West is. Yeah, like that's the thing. If they were in the Atlantic Division, I wouldn't, I'd be like, what are you doing? But yeah, I mean, I still am one of them because, like, I just don't really understand what Dallas gets out of being the 15th best team in the league. But apparently, I think their owner wants to keep making playoffs or thinks they still have a good enough team or whatever. And this move absolutely signals that to me. Right? Like, this is you do not hire Pete DeBoer if you're planning to take a step back. No, no, absolutely not. So, um, they'll be an interesting team actually this offseason. I wonder, I feel like not a lot of, and maybe part of it is because they're going to have to pay Ottinger still, but they have uh, $20 million in cap space basically right now. And like, Ottinger's not going to cost that. Like, Ottinger might get the Nadelkovich contract just for a couple years or whatever, right? Like, a, a two-year show-me deal kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. I wonder if they're a team that makes a bit bigger of a splash than we think. And it, and the other thing might be, what do they do with John Klingberg? But, like, $20 million, even if they re-sign Klingberg and Ottinger, I bet you they still have eight or nine to work with. They could definitely be a guy or a team that, you know, maybe swoops in as a surprise contender for, like, a Nazem Kadri or someone like that. I could see that. That would, I could definitely see that. I'm not sure how smart it would be, but it would be very hockey. I don't think it'd be smart at all. And, but it would be hilariously fitting of this team to just add another guy who's over 30 on a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it, this one was. DeBoer's a fine coach. I, I just, I don't really understand the fit. I, I don't think this team is good enough to make any, like, what, what is the peak for this team next year? They sneak into the third spot in their division and maybe upset the St. Louis Blues or something like that? Yep. And then just get their absolute faces pounded in by the Colorado Avalanche? Playoff gate revenue money? Yeah, I guess. Like, Yeah, they got a decent shot at it. But like if that, I don't know. I, it, it, I sometimes I do forget you got to look at it as a business as well. But like if that is what your long term goal is for the season, it's just like, and it's not like a team where it's like they're up and coming or whatever. This is a team that's just holding on for dear life. Like that's the peak of what's happening. Well, this speaks to how truly thrown off I was about the West. My thought at this, you know how they always talk in football about how there's value and like having a decent quarterback who's just like good enough at least you can evaluate everyone else yeah i was thinking of pete DeBoer as like that kind of guy for this team but yeah they are probably gonna try to win they yeah, look, I, I just the west is horrible yeah and obviously maybe maybe it'll look a little different like 
Anaheim, they might be a little better next year, but I don't think they're going to be that good. Like they, they feel like they still have another year to go before they really truly want to take a step. Yeah, if we um, take uh, cup probabilities, DraftKings has them as the eighth best team in the West. Which seems about right. Like, they're better than Arizona. I think Anaheim's maybe got more high-end upside, but I don't know if they'll reach that, especially if they trade John Gibson and go in with who knows, not that I'm super high on Gibson or anything like that, but, like, if they go in with uh, Anthony Stolars as their starting goaltender or whatever next year, right? Like, what are you doing there? Um, They're better than Arizona. I think they're better than Winnipeg. Uh, I think they're probably better than Nashville. They're better yeah. than Seattle. I would I would guess they're like safely better than Nashville and Winnipeg. DraftKings has them as more likely to win the cup too. That's good. Yeah. Um, they're Are not they better intuition? than LA. Nope. But LA's right even, in front of them. If they're close to St. Louis, would that even shock you? Because it wouldn't shock me. I think St. Louis has a better roster, but. Well, St. Louis was, it depends on what you buy. Was St. Louis just on a PDO heater, or do they have something figured out? I think it's – no, I don't think they've had anything figured out. But I also do think their true talent of their players were probably a little better than what their underlying numbers were showing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like – Yeah, like they will be a better XG team next year or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, it wouldn't shock me if, like, Buchnevich, Brandon Saad, and – Tarasenko or Ryan O'Reilly or whatever bounce back to being better in expected goals than they were this year, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so they like, will be, I'm sure. But, like, still, like, I don't think it's that much different than, like, a coin flip, maybe slightly in St. Louis's. The only teams I think that are definitely better in the West than um, Dallas right now are Vegas, which is funny because they miss playoffs, but still Vegas, uh, Colorado, obviously, Calgary, LA. I'll put Edmonton in there as well. And that's about it. There's seven. And then I would have them on the line of like St. Louis, Vancouver. Maybe you could throw into that grouping. Um, DraftKings has them as equally likely to win the cup as Vancouver. Yeah, which which seems about right. Feel like there's this weird distributional thing where like Dallas should be a better team on average, but at least Vancouver has some like Hot, more high upside players. Yeah, so they I would could arrive at the same cup odds. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And then it's like a step below them is probably like Winnipeg, Nashville, maybe San Jose because they seem to always not want to rebuild either. They're always trying. And Anaheim's probably in that tier as well. And then you have like the Seattle and Arizona at the bottom, and Chicago's probably down there as well if they start trading everyone away. But yeah, like this, I don't know. Like the West just kind of sucks. Yeah. That's just not – that's true. And even, like, teams who are good, like Calgary, should probably take a step back. Pretty big one, too. Yeah, Colorado is so far to fall from, but Colorado's going to have a worse team on paper next year. Yeah. Colorado could lose, like, 10 points of an expected value and still be the runaway favorites. Oh, absolutely. So, um, let's get to uh, another coaching hire here. Uh, let's go to the East. John Tortorella is hired to coach the Philadelphia Flyers. Another one I don't really understand, mostly because this doesn't really fit the roster to me. Like to, like, to me, this signals again, Philly thinks they actually have a better team than they actually do. Yep. Yeah, Philly absolutely does. That's why everybody has to best the front runner for uh, for Kadri. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense because they absolutely seem like a team that is going to take Giroux's money and just go pour it into guys that, you know, will help them this year and will probably look bad in a couple of years. Yeah. Functionally just punted into the sun. Yeah. Like it, this team, like the, the biggest problem I had, like maybe you can say, I was not going to think like heading into the off season, I was not really thinking that like, I, I thought it was going to be a lock four teams in the Atlantic make the playoffs again next year. I'm not as sold on that just because of how many injuries Boston's dealing with. Yep. And if like Bergeron retires, I think they're really, really screwed. But like if Bergeron stays, even if half that roster misses like four months, 
I'm probably still taking that Boston team to make the playoffs over this Philly team in a wild card. Oh, I would say like easily. So I don't know. Like it, it really, this to me really signals that they're hoping Pittsburgh and or Washington take a step back and they can just playoff point or overtime point their way into having 19 overtime losses and sneaking their way into the wild card spot. Yeah. Cause that's what Torch does best is he plays kind of a nothing game where you can backdoor yourself into a playoff spot. And yeah, if that's the goal, I guess good for them. And like, it's just another one where I'm saying, I don't think he's necessarily a bad coach, but I don't think he's like this amazing coach that you need either. And, and when you're a team that, again, if your upside is being the eighth best team in a division where you get 2% to win the cup when you make the playoffs, that probably signals you're doing something a little bit wrong. Yes. It, they definitely seem to be acting like a team that has different goals than just straight up winning the cup. Mm-hmm. So, and again, sometimes that is just what hockey, like it's a business. Sometimes people want to make money, but like, to me, that doesn't make it smart because the way you probably make the most money, even if it takes a year or two to rebuild is by building the best team possible for the longest possible. I think yeah, the team give yourself that, as many shots at it. Well, exactly. Cause like if you finish 21st this year and are out of the playoffs by four weeks left, your fans aren't going to live like, like your fans are going to rebel against that. Yep. Especially in Philly. Yeah. in Philly, especially. So I don't know, but let's, we saved the worst for last. That's for sure. I think in my opinion, anyways, the Florida Panthers. Maybe it's yeah, this is weird. The Florida Panthers have hired the most winningest coach in NHL history. Also one of the most losses, I believe. Paul Maurice is the new head coach of the Florida Panthers. This, to me, is maybe one of the most asinine moves I have seen in a long time. Well, yeah, that's the thing, too. This move doesn't even have to be a shot at Maurice to say it's bad. Like... I was skeptical of giving their coach uh, Jack Adams love because of the whole John Quinville thing. But, like, why would you – what did he do wrong? I'll make this but a he, shot at Maurice. Maurice fucking sucks. Well, it – well, that's – so there's two parts to it, right? Yeah, like, why would you move on from him in the first place? Oh, you did move on from him? Okay, so you got uh, – What's his name to uh, – you got, like, Bruce Cassidy or somebody. Yeah. Oh, no, never mind. You got Paul Maurice. Like, so Andrew Burnett, again, like, yeah, I, I don't know if he needed Jack Adams love either. But at the same time, it's like, well, he took a team that was under huge turmoil to start the year and brought them to uh, um, a president's trophy. Yeah, like, that he couldn't have good. done anything more to prove himself worthy of at least a shot. No, exactly. And like, again, we talked about it where it's like, he didn't just des- like that. They didn't deserve to get swept in that series. It was just bad luck that Vasilevsky had a nine eighty five. you know, yep. like, but I was totally on board too, where it's like, I don't know if Andrew Burnett needed to be the guy you go ahead with, but it sure as hell did not need to be Paul Maurice. Listen yeah. to this. Listen to this head coaching record right now. Let's start. Let's start in 2009, 2010. I mean, even if you want, we can go back a little further. So we'll start, I don't know, how, how far back do you want to go? So in Carolina, he has his first in Carolina, starts in 98, loses in round one out of playoffs, loses in round uh, one. A miracle run to the finals uh, in which the team went 35, 26, 16 in the regular season. Uh, so a, five point, a 0.555 points percentage. Um, missed the playoffs next year, get fired halfway through the year. Gets hired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Misses the playoffs. Misses the playoffs. Gets fired. Goes back to Carolina. They have their uh, conference final run in 08-09 off the back of Cam Ward. Misses playoffs. Misses playoffs. Gets fired halfway through the year. Gets hired by Winnipeg. Misses playoffs. Loses in round one in a sweep. Misses playoffs. Misses playoffs. Takes the team to round three. And that was when everyone was like, Winnipeg's got the best young team. They're going to be unreal for a number of years. 
loses in round one, loses in the qualifying round, loses in round two in the Canadian division in which they got swept in round two and misses the playoffs on a year where he quit halfway through the year. What? Yeah, and this is well having tons of objectively ridiculously talented players. Yeah, and like Plus the best goaltending. tier goaltending. Yeah. Yeah, like, and he just couldn't do shit with it. I this is one of the most baffling moves for me. From as you said, like, how many times have you seen a team walk away from a guy who just won them the president's trophy? And even yeah. if you want to say, okay, fine, you have the stones to do that, you just you got worse behind the bench. I don't know what yeah. to say. Because if they did that, and it's like we got Barry Trotz to coach, be like, you know what? By all means, it's Barry effing Trotz. Like, go for it. But I have no idea why they were like, sorry, Brunette. Uh, what you showed in the past year, you could not possibly beat out what Paul Maurice has done. It's just it's insane. I have I, I baffling to me. I think if you had to rate the four coaching hires that we saw this past week. I would probably go Blackhawks one just because of where their position is. I would go actually, De- probably DeBoer is the best coach, I think, that got hired. Yeah, I'd say DeBoer or the Hawks. I don't really care which one. Exactly. Know. But, like, I, I bumped Dallas down because I don't think they should be trying to, con- like, make a playoff spot. And that's the same reason with Torch. But then fourth with a bullet is a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup right now and hire Palmer. Yeah, I I don't get it, dude. I, I just I, I do not get it. So um, the only other two things I had written down was Timmy uh, Lilligren signs a contract two years, one point four million dollars. We can touch on this very quickly. Seems like a fine deal. Like there's very low risk for the Leafs and the high upside that if he I mean, I honestly I think in year one, he will like he's worth more than one point four now. But I think that everyone this, this is one of those contracts where in year two, everyone kind of realizes he is uh, well above $1.4 million in value. Yeah. Yeah, like this This wasn't great negotiation or whatever. This is just what happens to players like Lily Grant, unfortunately. Yeah, and like, well, it, and it's funny too, because like I, I was listening to Toronto Radio on Overdrive and they were like, they didn't like, not that they didn't like this contract, but they're like, well, they paid him too much. He should have made like 900K. It's like, no, well, this is no like if you filter was, out forwards and you look at war per dollar spent at the end of next year this is one of the like 30 contracts that could plausibly be number one yeah exactly like so um yeah smart move for a team especially yeah. a team that needs all the dollars that they can out of it i think he will provide this and tons of excess value um other than that i had the nhl awards they they announced um matthews wins the heart uh, which by a lot, by a decent amount too. I don't know. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I was actually. I, I, was, I was expecting him to fall down some boards a lot farther than he did. Yeah, me too. I, and um, he also won the Ted Lindsay, which is the one that the uh, players vote on. Uh, which again, I, I I don't know if I was like shocked or not, but there's a little surprised. I think. Yeah, um, scoring 60 is pretty stupid. Yes, it, it is. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, he had an amazing season. I just kind of felt like the narrative was people were going to get mad that I'm just trying to make stupid narratives up or whatever, right? Like, yeah, he deserved them. Yeah, but. yeah, absolutely. He should have won. He would have been number one in the bullet, if, like on mine. Uh, Cam McCarr wins the Norris. That was another one I was actually a little surprised by. Beside, not because he didn't deserve it, but because I thought Roman Yossi was getting so much hype that he was going to win. Um, this is one of the closest votes I've seen in the years. Points were 1,631 to 1,606. So it was literally the difference between like a, a third place or a second place vote, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, which is pretty nuts. But Cal McCarr deserved it. Yep, exactly. The right guy won. Yep. And like, they'll say had a great season as well, but McCarr was just better. Yeah, McCarr's, yeah, McCarr's a better hockey player than, than Yossi. That's fine. Yep. Uh, not um, Yossi and McCarr is just... Something else completely. Yep. Mortis Sider won the uh, Calder Trophy. Uh, Bunting came third. Zegers came second. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it went Raymond. Jeremy Swayman came in fifth. Anton Lundell sixth. Tanner Janot seventh. Matt Boldy eight. Cole Caulfield nine. 
Timothy Lilligreen came in 11th, uh, speaking of him. Seth Jarvis came in 13th. I thought that was pretty low for him. I thought he should have been higher, but. Yeah, that was weird. I also, I don't know why I did this to myself, but I was looking at the the votes of people who had Jernot ahead of Bunting. And I would love to do like a 45-minute interview with someone to get the logic of how you could vote for the Nashville 24-year-old, but not the Nashville 25-year-old. Yeah, but not the least least 26-year-old. Yeah, who was like objectively better in literally every single way, and it wasn't even fucking close. Yeah, exactly. Um, Vesna Shosturkin wins in a landslide. Three GMs didn't vote for him first. Uh, one had Frederick Anderson, one had Vasilevsky, one had Sorokin. Uh, yeah, I wonder if I used to get Sorokin and Shosturkin mixed up, and I honestly wonder if the GM did this. That would be hilarious. Sorokin did have a very good year, but not Shosturkin. Like, Shosturkin was the best goalie by so much, so much. Yeah. There's a plausible argument we just witnessed the best goaltending season of our lifetime. Yeah. So um, first team all-star Matthews, Marner, Kudrow, and then Makar, Yossi, and Shesterkin and Nett. Do you see how many Edmonton fans were bitching that McDavid or Dreisaitl? Well, the, that Dreisaitl wasn't even a, an all, all-star player. It's like, well, yes, because the guy who won the heart is obviously going to be the first centerman. McDavid yep. is the second, which doesn't leave room for Dreisaitl because there's only two teams. Yep. And he was worse than Goudreau this year. Uh, yeah, including exa- the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> if so you even say he's a wing. Yeah, so um, that's all I have. Um, tons of news, obviously, that happened this week, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job breaking it all down. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on, Chase? I don't think so. I got a whole bunch of stuff coming out in the next week or so, so be on the lookout that's- for that. Exactly. Everyone keep an eye out for that. You can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff. Thank you everyone so much for listening. We'll be back at you, uh, back with you next week. Bye.